John 16. God's inerrant, infallible word, the only, only truth that's given for God's people to know what they're to believe concerning God and what he requires of them. So let's read it together. Follow me as I read out loud. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean? By a little while. We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them. Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly I say to you. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful pregnant passage that has so much for us. We have little time. Give us good use. Keep our minds focused. Father, open our hearts. We pray for salvation for any in this room who may not know Christ. Oh, perhaps they know the name, perhaps they've even read the scriptures, but you've never opened their hearts. You've never opened their spiritual eyes to see that he is good, to taste and know that he is indeed good. We pray that you might do that today for the rest of us who love you, who trust you, Increase our faith. May we find in you this day all we want and need. For it's there. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Do you ever, uh, I suspect you have, even though your pastor, and I'm sure other pastors have said to don't do this, you have, 
Have you ever thought, man, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it have been wonderful? And wouldn't it be wonderful? Peter thought this, uh, to, to, uh, to spend time with Moses and Elijah and just, and just listen to all else that they have to say about the Exodus because we don't know everything about the Exodus. We know what's necessary and what's been recorded. How about Elijah on Mount Moriah? That would have been, that would, that, I mean, just as much as we get in the historical narrative, it's pretty remarkable. But Elijah could tell us some more things, I'm sure. How about talking to Ezekiel and Jeremiah and say, you know, you know, what was going through your mind when, when the Lord told you to do some of these really bizarre things? Well, as I said, this pastor and other pastors have said that it's, you don't have to do that. You don't, it's everything we need is right here. This is God talking to us. I mean, I've even heard people say before, boy, I just wish God would talk to me like he did to Moses. I don't think so. Scared Moses sometimes. We don't like to be scared. And besides, again, God does speak to us. It's right here. It's in the book. These disciples, you say, but what's that got to do with this? Well, it's this. I, I, I know that if we were, if, if we just go back and read the Old Testament and just dibble and dabble with those men that I just mentioned, we could go elsewhere. How about Jonah? I mean, there's a whole lot more than those four chapters to Jonah's life. And don't you know that Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jonah and all the rest, there were times when they, 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 Lord, what are you doing? What? You want me to put on what? You want me to take off what? You want me to go lie where? And now these disciples, they're just getting all this information. And it's just running through their minds. And the gracious Lord knows that they're asking questions and they don't understand. He's told him, I'm going away, and it's to your advantage. I don't know about you, 
But I, were I one of those disciples, would have thought, wait, what could be more advantageous than you walking with us? And you talking with us? And you eating with us? What could be, what could be better than that? And then we, we may tend to think sometimes, right? Boy, if the Lord were just here to turn those tables over. Because I just can't. And all this is going through their mind. Two things I want us to see in this passage. Very simple. One is the obvious, and it starts right there in the beginning. A little while, he says, and you will see me no longer again a little while, and you will. So some of his disciples said, what is this that he says? And if you, know, if you noticed, they not only pull in a little while and a little while, but they also throw in something else that he also said back earlier I'm going to the Father. It's to my advantage that I go to the Father. And they're trying to make this all fit together. A little while, I'll be with you, then I won't be with you, and then I will be with you. And then they're like, yeah, but earlier he said he's going to the Father. So how can he go to the Father? And then in a little while, we see him again. Sometimes it's easy for us sitting on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection and this side of the ascension and 2,000 years out with all the, all, the, all the remarkable works of Christ on this earth. And it's easy for us to look at these early followers and the early church and say, man, they were daft. How did they miss that? How did they not understand that? And yet, and we might even be tempted to criticize but as I've told you before, you know, it's easy for us to criticize. There's Peter denying the Lord three times. Well, I would never do that, really. We do. When someone speaks blasphemy against God and we don't say anything, we denied him. But then I turn around and, I, and you, you folks who've been here for a while hopefully remember some of what I've said over the last 15 years. And one of the things that I've said is, which of you, like Peter, have ever walked on water? So before we criticize, let's think about the whole picture here. And in this case, before we criticize these disciples, these followers of Christ, this nascent church, just think about how bewildered they must have been, how puzzled as one commentator says, they are, in, they are in absolute perplexity here. 
They, they can't even fathom this. So he says, a little while you'll not see me, a little while you will. So they're puzzled. The puzzlement, no doubt, is going to get worse as he goes on down. But notice how he ends this. This bewilderment is not supposed to end in unbelief. It's not supposed to end in uncertainty. It's not supposed to end in anything except joy. Joy. Let me suggest something to you. This is very simple. I'm going to look real quickly at this, the substance of this, but here's a point I want us to take away from this. Let me suggest to us that that when we're puzzled from time to time as we consider God's word, as we consider God's works in our lives, that should not cause us to doubt him. And that should not cause us to lose faith. It shouldn't undermine our faith. In fact, something like this. I remember talking to Dr. Morton Smith so many times. And one time, I was talking to him about a passage we were reading in the Hebrew through an Old Testament passage. And and I just said, I, Dr. Smith, this passage, this is a tough one. I don't remember what the passage was, so don't ask me after church, after worship ends. And I said, you've been, you've been studying the scriptures for, for 75 years. Help me. He said, and he had that little sheepish grin. If you've ever met, if you ever met Dr. Smith in this life, and I, I think you'll probably have it in the, in the new heavens and new earth too. This little sheepish grin came on his face and he said, that passage has always puzzled me and I don't know what it means. Folks, listen. That did not cause Morton Smith to doubt God one moment. In fact, it was a reason for him to trust God even more because it reminds us that his ways and his thoughts are greater than our ways and our thoughts. And by the way, even though this is revelation to us, it is un, un, it's unveiling what God wants to, it's communication from God. Even though he dumbs it down for us, we're finite and he is infinite. And his ways and his thoughts and his word sometimes is going to, just not be something we can fully take in. If he's incomprehensible, and he is, then what he says is incomprehensible at degrees, in degrees, at levels. And so it shouldn't trouble us. That should actually be a reason for us to believe. Because if we could believe it, I've heard Jehovah's Witnesses when talking with them, and they want to go to the Trinity, of course, and so we do happily. I'm happy to do that. 
And then they'll say, but I can't understand that. And I say, what kind of God do you want? A God you can handle? A God you can, you can comprehend? A God that you can figure out? And I've even had cultists say, yes. If I'm going to believe in him, I need to understand. I need to be able to. And I'm like, no, I want a God that's above me, not a God that's equal with me. And that's what's puzzling the disciples. They've got a God in their midst who's above them. And he's saying things that so far. And he's saying so many things. It's to your advantage that I go to the Father. And now he's saying, I'm going to go away a little while and then I'll be back. And they're trying to make it all, they're trying to make their charts fit. They're trying to make their, their, their little, their little droodlings of Jesus all fit together and connect the dots and, and they can't. So they're saying, what does he mean? And Jesus comes with a divine interruption and he says, notice he knew that they wanted to ask him something. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while you will see me. Truly, truly I say to you, You'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And we'll stop there for a moment. Now, we talked about earlier in this, this portion of the, the, the last, the final discourse, that he is going to go back to the Father. He is, he's going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. And the Spirit, another one like Jesus, the same stuff, the same essence, Divine, the third person of the Holy Trinity, is going to come. And then Jesus says in the mix there in chapter 14, and I will come. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. You just said you're going away, and now you're saying the Spirit's going to come, and I will come. Which is it? And Jesus is saying, it's yes. Because he's told us now in chapter 16... Not only am I going to ask the Father, chapter 14, and the Father will send the Spirit, but I will send the Spirit. So the Spirit's going to come, and Christ is present through the Spirit with his people. Even though he's seated on the throne, he's spiritually present with us, although he is, he is locationally on the throne. Because remember, he has a body, a glorified body. We talked about that in chapter 14, that that passage has to do with both a near and far fulfillment. He's going to be with them in the person of the Holy Spirit, but he's most likely also saying, I'm going to come again. I'm not gone forever. I'll be coming again. But now in this passage, the illustration he gives us and what he says explains to them that now he's talking about the immediate. 
a little while referring to the crucifixion and you won't see me because I'm going to be I'm going to be buried. My body will be put on a shelf in a cave. My spirit, my soul will ascend to the heavens to be with the father. You won't see me. A little while. But then you will. And because you don't see me, truly, truly, I say to you, that's like the behold, behold. Here's, listen, this is something new that's about to happen that you're not going to understand, but I'm going to tell you about it. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And remember how the world rejoiced at the crucifixion of the Lord. They celebrated at the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't even comprehend that, can we? Because we love him. And the disciples, no doubt, at this point could not have comprehended that the world's going to rejoice because you're not here. We, we love you. We, we love you being here. We love talking to you, eating with you, walking with you, resting under the olive trees with you. We love it. And they're going to, they're going to love you being gone. They're going to love what's, and remember, he's already been telling them, I'm going to go and they're going to kill me and the third day I'm going to rise. All this is already out there. All this is going through their minds. And he says, you will be sorrowful. They're rejoicing, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. That's the resurrection. The sorrow is the crucifixion. The joy is the little while you will see me. And so for those 40 days after the resurrection, those were magnificent times. And they didn't want it to end. And you remember when it did end and he ascended through the clouds. Acts chapter 1 tells us that they just stood there gawking. And the angels had to come and say, hey, get on with it. I mean, they just just stood there and starved to death. must have been a magnificent sight and they just stood there and the angels no go remember what he told you go to Jerusalem and wait and pray now he gives them an illustration when a woman's giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she's delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. It's good enough, isn't it, that he says, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. But he adds even something more and no one will take your joy from you. In other words, it's going to last. It's not just going to... It's not just going to be joy while I'm with you, but it's not going to go away. 
We're going to say more about that in just a, a jiffy. But that takes us into the second point. We move from their bewilderment into the instruction the Lord gives them. And what's supposed to come about is bliss or joy, gladness, delight. And he uses this illustration of pregnancy and delivery. And every woman who has been pregnant and delivered a baby understands it. And you women are saying, yeah, and you men don't get it. Well, we do, sort of. I'm going to explain this to you. I remember so clearly, and I, 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 would, I, I would, would guess that every man in here who has observed his wife going through birth, birth, birth delivery could say amen if we were Baptist. And that'd be okay, even if you're not. I remember how wonderful the thought of having a child was. And my wife, Carol, through the whole pregnancy. And then, and then that night, and I'm observing my wife going through the anguish of childbirth, the sorrow, the pain, the weeping, the lamenting, the telling me to shut up. I just did everything that the the, the birthing coach told me to. And Carol, she wouldn't let me. I was trying. And then it struck me. She could die. And she would die to give this child birth. She would rather give this child birth than to be my wife from now on. That's all that's on her mind right now is for this little baby to be born. And I was scared to death that my wife might die or my child might die. I was fearful. See, this analogy, this illustration the Lord is using isn't just for the women. These disciples were men, remember, so they got it too. They understood. And then how quickly it changes. The Lord says. Once the child is born. I remember at one point my wife saying. We're not doing this again. But then she saw Sophie. And I saw Sophie. And then it happened again, same thing with Kaz, and the same thing again with Ian. And when the doctor said, it's a, it's a girl, it's a boy, they're fine. And then I saw Carol was fine. And all of a sudden, all the sorrow, all the fear, all went away. First came the night then came the morning. First came the sorrow, then came the joy. And the Lord said, that, that's what I'm talking about. 
In a little while, I'm going to be crucified, and you're going to be sorrowful. You're going to lament. You're going to be more confused. If you think you're confused now at what I'm saying, you just wait. He doesn't say that, but that's between the lines, okay? But then comes the morning. The resurrection morning. And you will be full of joy. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So he moves then. This is the last thing we'll, we'll look at. He moves then to prayer. So, a little while, crucifixion, sorrow. A little while, resurrection, joy. And then he moves to, this is how your joy is going to continue. Through prayer. It's just, that's the flow of the passage. Earlier in chapter 14, he said this. Chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Ask me. Ask me, chapter 14. Now something's changing. Chapter 16. You're not going to ask me anything. You're going to ask the Father. You're going to ask the Father in my name. You're not going to ask me in my name, but you're going to ask the Father in my name. Why? Because he's resurrected. Because things have changed now. He's no longer, he's no longer, as it were, right there with them, but he is in preparation for the ascension to the, to, to the throne, entering into his intercessory mode, in session with the Father, and now we're going to pray straight to the Father. While he was there with them, talk to God. He's in person. But now he's not going to be in person, and we'll talk to the Father. And we'll talk to the Father through him. Every, if you've ever wondered, and if anybody ever challenges you, why do you pray in the name of Jesus? Amen. This is why. He says, ask in my name of the Father. That's the reason he taught them, here's how you pray, our Father who art in heaven. And now you got the rest of it, right? In my name to the Father. And what's the culmination? What's the, what's the outcome? Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. And then he gives them some instruction right in that last part, 24B, ask, present active indicative. Keep on asking. That's consistent with what the Lord teach, taught them elsewhere. Pray without ceasing. You keep on asking. Be the importuning widow. Don't give up. And what's the outcome? You will. Future active. This is, you, you will, not you may, perhaps, but you shall. And then notice, ask and you'll receive 
For what purpose? The purpose clause is there. So that your joy may be full. Let me give you a literal on that last, that last clause there. It's just simply this. Ask and you'll receive. And you, you will be joyful and you will continue being joyful until the very end. There's no intermittency here. It's, it's the perfect. It's complete. That's the reason some translations translate that, that your joy may be complete. The SV renders it full. We have our joy in Christ. Past tense, we have our joy in Christ. Present tense, and we have our joy in Christ. Future tense. Forever and forever. This is the reason that the Apostle Paul could write the epistle of joy to the Philippians from prison. This is the reason the Apostle Paul, who was tortured and tormented, read about it in 2 Corinthians, the details. And he writes more about joy and thanksgiving. And he even tells us, none of you are going to suffer like I have. Therefore, rejoice in all things. Because he understood this. And if Paul could understand this, so can we. Notice how they move here. The Lord moves them. I don't want you to be puzzled by this. But if you are, here's the outcome of your puzzlement. When you're confused, this is how it ought to end. Now, next week, we're going to pick up in verse 25, and he says a few more things about these figures of speech that he's been using. And then he's going to move to the end of the final farewell discourse, and we move to the high priestly prayer of chapter 17. Well, with that, let's conclude. And here's what I want to say. The ways of Christ are not easily understood, but they are good for the church. Even when we're puzzled, that's good. Even when we're bewildered, that's good. Because it causes us to remember that he's God and we're not. His ways are above ours. His thoughts are above ours. We ought to grapple with God's truth and see what it produces. I heard Joel Beakey just recently say he thinks one of the reasons the church is no stronger than it is today, not as strong as it has been in the past, is because we do not take time to grapple with the deep things of God. We want the comfort. We want the superficial. That's easy. Let's just live right there instead of grappling with the difficulties. We're Scarlet O'Hara, aren't we? Oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a diff- another day. And so we just move from the difficulties to, uh, we'll just do this tomorrow. Instead of dealing with it. They dealt with it. 
and the Lord interrupted and he helped them deal with it. It'll bring us into an abiding state of joy, gladness, delight as we see here. A little while, and by the way, shifting, shifting a little. That was all about a little while the crucifixion, a little while the resurrection. But listen, a little while and he's coming again. We will see him. Remember what the scriptures say from the Lord's Supper when, I, when I'm at the table? There's appointed a time for us to die. But then he's coming. And for everyone who eagerly awaits his coming, there'll be no mention of sin. That's the source of our joy. Forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And when he comes, then we'll be as we ought to be. We'll be with him forever. So the question is, is that where your faith is? Is that the object of your faith? This Lord Jesus, is that the object of your joy? Or is it your circumstances? Is it the frowning providences of life? Is that what guides your ups and your downs? Or is it the Lord Jesus? If it's the Lord Jesus, if our faith is in Christ Jesus, then rejoice and be glad. And as Jesus said to his disciples, look up, your redemption draws near. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this morning. We ask you to bless now. And as we sing and as we go out under your blessing, give us joy. Turn the darkness into light. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.